0: It's lovely to be able to share with you this morning, and we're going to continue our series through the book of Philippians. This morning, we're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through to 11, and we're going to look at that in a few moments. Just before we do, I want to ask you for a moment to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that you're going shopping in Carnforth. And uh, you've heard that there's some great deals on chocolate in booths. So you've gone into booths in order to, to make these purchases. As you go in, you see that the cafe is open. And so you scan your eyes over the people who are in the cafe, you know, just to, just to see what's happening. A little bit of nosiness, perhaps. Um, also, just to see if you recognise anyone so you, that you can be sure that you can avoid them. Uh, that you can be sure you can talk to them if you see them. As you look around the, the cafe, there are three tables where there are people sat. On the first table, there is a businesswoman. She's dressed really smart in a smart business suit. Uh, she is on the mobile phone, she has a laptop open, and she's working away. Um, you can't really tell how old she is, but she certainly looks successful. Uh, just by the way she's talking, you recognise that she's probably not from Canforth originally. She's drinking a latte and has a half-eaten Cherry Bakewell in front of her. Your eyes continue to scan the scene. And at the second table, you see uh, an older gentleman. He's probably in his late 50s. He's uh, well-dressed and the keys to a, a rather fancy car are on the table. He's got the paper open. But he's just staring off into space. You can see on his arm that there is a scar that is uh, goes down to his hand and is then disappears up his arm. You can tell by the look in his eye that he's seen things. He has an espresso and no, no food. And you just by the way he's kind of holding his body, his demeanour. It looks like he's he's probably had an injury on his leg. Then thirdly, there is a a young girl at a table. It's really hard to tell how old she is, but her clothes don't seem to fit well. Just a baggy sweater. Actually, her appearance is is grubby and uh, her hands are cupped around a, a warm drink. It might even just be hot water. She seems oblivious to what else is happening in the room, just staring into her drink. If that was the scene, you might smile to yourself and think, wow, Canforth really is a diverse place to live. But you probably wouldn't give that scene a second thought. You'd carry on searching for those chocolates and those great deals that you've been told about. I want you to hold that picture in your mind while we look at these verses and we'll return to it in a few moments time let me read the passage for us philippians chapter 1 verses 3 to 11 i thank my god every time i remember you in all my prayers for all of you i always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now Now there's certainly um lots that Paul packs into those verses, and we're not going to attempt to to look at everything. We're just going to look at two things two two angles on this the, the first is who is Paul praying for and the second, what is he praying for? So who is he praying for and what is he praying for let's seek to unpack that together. First of all, I wonder, did you notice how many times Paul said in those verses, all of you? I wonder if you noticed that as we went through. He said it four times. Let me read them to you. Verse four, he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Verse seven, it is right that I should feel this way about all of you, since I Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. Verse 8 God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What's clear is that Paul has a great love for all of you in the church in Philippi. Paul's addressing this to everyone. To the whole church. There's something important that everyone needs to recognise. What I would like us to do just for a few moments is to go back to Acts 16 and get a sense of who this all of you might be, who might it include. Now we're not going to get a detailed list of everybody who was in the church in Philippi but we do get a snapshot of, uh, of what Paul's time in Philippi was like And who he interacted with, who he bumped into, who came to faith in Philippi. And it will help us understand who Paul is talking to. Who are these all of you that he's talking to? Let me set the scene for you. Acts 16. Acts 16 is hugely important because uh, on this missionary journey, Paul's second missionary journey, He's going to travel round. He's going to be sharing the gospel. People are going to hear it and receive it. And, and church is going to be established. This is going to be a history changing journey. Paul's going to travel into what is now Europe with, on this journey. And, uh, and some of the, the uh, churches that are established are going to um, be key places in the New Testament. More than that. The Gospel is going to go forward throughout, uh, throughout the world, starting at some of these bases. This is a hugely significant time in history, a hugely significant journey that Paul is on. And his time in Philippi is, is the Gospel coming to Europe for the first time, what we call Europe now, for the first time. But his journey starts with trouble. At the end of Acts 15, we read that Paul and Barnabas, these two friends and co-workers, have such a sharp disagreement that they, they go their separate ways. Then at the beginning of Acts 16, Paul has the, this um, happen to him twice where he wants to go in a certain direction, but God, by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Jesus, stops him. So he wants to go to Asia, but he isn't able to. He wants to go to Bithynia, but he's not able to. So Paul is having this season of heartbreak and hurt as he and Barnabas split split ways. And frustration as he wants to go to a certain place, but can't. And he wants to go somewhere else, but isn't able to. And out of this season of frustration and heartbreak is going to come something hugely significant. Paul's been having a rough time. But towards the end of that rough time, he has a a vision. And the vision is of a man from Macedonia who asks, come over to us and help us. It could be that that vision that Paul has is is Luke himself, Luke who writes the book of Acts. If you want to look at it, you can, but the, the tense changes from they did this or they did that to we did this. We travelled here. Luke starts to write 1st hand. He's joined the team. It could be that he is that man from Macedonia. And he tells us about what happens in Philippi, the first place that they go to. The first person they meet is somebody called Lydia. Acts 16 verse 14 says this. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. Now, again, I'm just painting with broad strokes here. There's lots of, of beauty in the detail. But Paul goes to Philippi an unlikely place, um, a really unlikely place for, for people to respond to the gospel. There's a, you know, There's no synagogue. There's not many people who are looking out for a coming Messiah. But they meet Lydia. Lydia is a, is a foreign woman. She's not from Philippi. She's not from the area. But she must be relatively wealthy. She has a household which she invites um, Paul, Silas and Luke to go to. Um, there are people in there. She, she must be relatively wealthy. And uh, she deals in purple cloth which is kind of a signal of wealth as well. And she's seeking after God as a, as a wealthy foreign woman. Next, we, we read of um, the Philippian jailer. So Paul and Silas get into some big trouble. There's a, a slave girl and she has a spirit within her where, by which she predicts the future. She earns a lot of money for her owners and, uh, and, and Paul drives this spirit out of her. Uh, and the owners of the slave girl throw up so much trouble that Paul and Silas are stripped and beaten Just imagine the shame involved in that, the public nakedness, the beatings and floggings. And then they're put in prison and that's where we meet the Philippian jailer. Jailers in the Roman world were often retired soldiers, uh, people who'd seen action, who proved their worth. But as they got older, were not kind of ready to be in, in the army in quite the same way. But they were entrusted with this um, keeping order in the, in the jails and prisons. So they were still key workers in the empire. But it was much easier on them and, uh, and much more stable for them and their families. But still vital in keeping, keeping order in Rome. And he's a really interesting man, as a Philippian jailer. Because these men, Paul and Silas, have been beaten and stripped and flogged. Um, and the flippy jailer still puts them in the inner cell, and he fastens their feet in the stocks. He's told them to get to guard them carefully, and he certainly takes those orders very seriously. I mean they were hardly in a fit state to be escaping, but he still takes all those extra precautions. Remarkably, around midnight, Paul and Silas are singing and praising God, and the prisoners are listening, but the jailer isn't. He's fast asleep. He, he, he's not there listening to that. God steps in in a, in a remarkable way. The doors of the prison open, uh, but nobody escapes. And that witness is so strong that the jailer gives his life to the Lord. And he takes and he, he offers Paul and Silas hospitality in his home and he, he binds their wounds. Uh, a picture of the transformation that Jesus brings. So the Philippian jailer is a Roman. He's not searching for God, he's not seeking. He's doing his job wholeheartedly and and well, but he's not looking out for the coming kingdom. He's a hard man, a strong man, um, and he's uh, he's sort of ambushed by the gospel. The third character, and uh, you'll have to allow us to use our imagination a little bit here, so I'll put that statement in there, is the slave girl. And we don't get to hear much about this slave girl, other than that she had this spirit by which she predicted the future, that Paul and, and Silas, um, in the name of Jesus, drove that spirit out. And we don't hear of her coming to, to faith in the Lord Jesus, but I'd like to think that the church would look after her as she was suddenly in a position of real vulnerability, um, of no use to her owners, and, uh, and, and really in a very vulnerable position. As a slave girl she's the lowest of the low, so she's not um, she's a woman so she has less rights than a man she's a young woman so there's no one really looking out for her and she's owned by someone else. Just think how horrific that is. she doesn't even control her own um, time, her own schedule, her own body, her own ideas. she's at the very end, a very bottom of the social Um, scale and not only is she owned by someone else but she'd been um, possessed by a demon I mean it's it really is she she really is um, hopeless these are the three characters in in Philippi that we get to hear about in Acts these are all of you that Paul is praying for with great joy Let's go back to the picture in booths for a moment, shall we? I wonder if those three characters we looked at in booths, if they were all sat around the same table, I wonder if when we walk in, we'd actually pay more attention. It would stand out to us as unusual and incredible. What if they were sharing together and laughing together and connecting? What if they were listening to each other? What if the rich... Which uh, woman kind of paid the bill for everybody? What if the young girl was willing to carry the shopping for the injured older man? What, what if the older man in all integrity and honour was looking out for his sisters both of whom would have had an air of vulnerability about them? Then I think other people in that cafe would take note I think that would be a powerful witness. That is the church in Philippi, made up of different people from different backgrounds. Some seeking the Lord, some who've been ambushed by the gospel, some with money, some without. Such variety. And Paul says, I pray with joy for all of you. I want to ask you this week to pray for the people at CFM. And I want to ask you to pray for all of the church. Pray for all of you. Pray for everyone. Why not pray for everyone each day? I'm not saying pray for everyone by name, but just as Paul does here, to pray a prayer for all of you. Secondly, let's see what Paul is praying for. It's always interesting, isn't it, to hear somebody else pray. It can be a real insight into their character, but also it can really help us see God and understand a bit more of him and perhaps what he's doing. That's why prayer meetings can be so powerful. As we pray together, there's something uh, deep that happens as we help each other see God and see what he's doing and also as we, as we come before him in humility. Well, well, here we get to hear what Paul is praying and it's been recorded for us and kept for us in the in the scriptures so it must be significant for us let's remind ourselves of what paul prays let me read verse 9 to 11 and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God now again there's there's so much in there we're just going to take a broad look at it um feel free to to dig into the detail but paul prays that the the love of the folks in the church would abound more and more i wonder what I wonder what you pray for I wonder what I pray for? I think we often pray for safety, for success, f- for health, for um, relationships to succeed, for promotions or job security. Yeah. These are the kind of practical concerns that are often top of my list. I wonder what's top of yours? Paul prays here that, that love may abound more and more let's think about that for a moment when we think of love i wonder what we think of we want to to love more i think we'd all say i would like to be more loving to for my love to grow more and more to abound more and more and when we think of love we often think of kindness and affection and laughter and joy but that's not the whole story with love is it it's not the whole story. For a moment, I would like you to think of of the people you love most in your life. Just think of, of one or two of those individuals. And now think back about your interactions with them over the last few weeks and months. Are those interactions like a highlight reel of of laughter and smiles and joy? Are they like that montage moment in a film where there's some upbeat music and the sun is shining? And you're holding hands and and dancing through meadows? Probably not. Probably not. Because there's there's more to love than that. Those things are wonderful and important and great. We smile, we laugh, we share. There's affection and, and warmth. But love is displayed in lots more ways than that. And perhaps even deeper ways. This is what John says. One John 3:16 says, "This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters." So this is a very definition of love, is that Jesus laid down His life for those who didn't deserve it. The definition of love is, is in sacrifice. Peter Reed, who heads up Torchbearers International, said, love is to desire and do what's best for someone else. Think back to, to those who you love. What has the last few interactions with them been like? My guess is there's, there's been a lot of times where you've had a set plan, a set hope or agenda, and you've had to change it to alter it to, for it to fit with someone you love. You've had ideas and you've had to, to sacrifice some of them. There's been a sacrifice financially or with your time or with um, what you've spent your, your kind of resources doing. And that is love, isn't it? Love is in sacrifice. Paul prays that the church would love, that their love would abound more and more. That, In other words, they're going to sacrifice for the Lord and for each other more and more. There's going to be more relational health as they prefer one another's needs. And they're going to do that with more knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, as they fix their eyes on Jesus, as they see more and more of who Jesus is, they learn more and more about who he is and and what he's done and what his character is like and what he is doing as they grow in knowledge and insight into who he is, more of of who he is, then that's gonna overflow into their relationships with one another. That's gonna impact their decision-making and temperament and character and personality and how they operate with one another. As they see what Jesus has done for them, so they will then sacrifice for each other, that they might know what is best. And I guess sometimes what is best is to forgive, to allow ourselves to be wrong, to, to, to put our own agenda to the side. We live in a tough world, Relationally, relationships are tough, that's friendships and relationships of all kinds. How on earth can we do this? How can we love people more and more when so, so many people, and ourselves included, are often just not lovable? And the answer is, of course, we can't. We can't do it. It's impossible for us to do it on our own. But the wonder of the message of Jesus is that he comes to live within us. Not only has he died for us and risen again, but he comes to live within us by his spirit, that he gives us his life. So it's his love that, that flows more and more. That we have more knowledge, more understanding, more depth of insight, more discernment as, as he lives through us. And that's our hope. And that's what makes everything possible. This week, I want to ask you as people at CFM, and, and indeed anyone who's watching, to pray Pray for, if you're part of CFM, pray for, for us. If you're part of a different fellowship, pray for your own fellowship. And pray this prayer of Paul's every day for all of you, for everyone. That's how I would like to close this morning. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in the God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer